gentlemen welcome back to stories out of time and space i'm your regular host scott weatherly and i am joined by my good friend julian stardust julian how are you doing okay. um yes i'm not quite sure of my origins and i've always felt like an alien um but uh how are you doing i'm not too mad i'm not too mad uh, you, the, the way to check is can you basically pull uh contact look you know basically sort of real plastic contact lenses off your eyes are they real that's what you want to be asking yourself check yourself in the mirror I can do that, but I <laughs> don't do it because it would kill you in shock. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, only get to that, that scene. Um, right, before we... We should really explain what we're talking about today. Today we're going to be talking about uh, a film that um, uh, neither, of us has, neither of us had seen until we sort of did this. We're doing this for this review, so this is a newie for both of us. Uh, it's the David Bowie starring The Man Who Fell to Earth from 1976, directed by uh, Nicholas Rogue. Uh, starring David Bowie, Rip Torn, Candy Clark, Bernie Casey, Buck Henry, a bunch of other people. And I was going to try and give a bit of a plot, but basically... <laughs> Good luck. Um, yeah, it's like three films in one. <laughs> um, it, it's, um, it may well be an actual biography of how Bowie became <laughs> Bowie, maybe. Um, it's also the the story of how an alien fall literally falls to Earth, uh, and then using alien technology becomes an industrialist who uses the money to try and return home with water. Um, but then also um, through I don't know the pot being poisoned by Western culture and television and alcohol um, starts to sort of you know be corrupted by it. Um, eventually, sort of. Um, being abducted by not the government but his own company to be tested on it's it's a little unclear we'll get to it um <laughs> but uh first and foremost before we get into the sort of plot you know, that's that's the, the gist of it but julian what were your thoughts then watching this initial um, thoughts yeah i i think one initial thought is that it it is one of those movies that just keeps going on and then becomes a, a very different movie. And I quite like that. Uh, it, you know, it's not those sort of acts are not as clearly demarcated as, like, say, The Crying Game, which is, like, clearly each act is just a totally different movie. Um, but it, it starts a little rough with, like, that that the crash is just kind of, like, unseen and a little yeah. shaky. And, you know, and you're just like, okay, I don't know what to expect here. Um but I'd say, like, by about halfway through, I was like, this is probably, you know, a, a clear contender for my f top 10 sci-fi films of all time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not joking. I mean, like, I love this movie that much. I, I have to admit, right, I, uh, when it starts, and again, I, I knew little. I tried to sort of avoid learning about it, so I thought, I want to go in this as a sort of, a, a you know, like an open experience. And that opening section, 
where he goes into the pawn shop and sort of you know sells the ring uh, to get some money as a bit of a starter. And I'm like, I don't. And then then it sort of quickly transitions to him in a suit and a hat, and he's got all this sort of like patents. And I was like, it's it starts really jarring. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I don't think this is going to work for me. I was really <laughs> I was really worried. Um, but quickly you sort of weirdly fall into the groove of this film. Like it's sort of like it's not going to stop for you. Like this film doesn't care if you keep up or not. Like, but it, it, you sort of fall into the groove. You either fall into the groove or you don't. I think that is the the, the you know the way it'll go. Um, and again, like by about halfway through, I was like, I'm really enjoying this. It's fascinating. It's weird. It's slightly incoherent, um, but it's full of really good ideas and. Like I say, David Bowie is just magnetic in it. Like you know, he's he's fascinating to watch. Yeah, I don't know how good of a performance it is. Um, no, you know, I mean, there there's a whole debate over like he says that he was stoned through the whole production, and you know, other cast members are like, no, he was not. He he was on his shit, but. I mean, he just basically plays David Bowie, right? Yeah. I mean, he plays like a weird, aloof kind of guy, very confident that that Bowie confidence, and yet strange. Uh, mm. So it, it works perfectly. I mean, it's perfect casting, and we never really got a Ziggy Stardust movie, so this is like <laughs> as close as we get. Although it, it lacks the Bowie music, but um, no, I mean, I I felt like what you're describing as incoherence. You know, I I felt like there are things that are just like not explained and there are scenes of kind of like connective tissue that mm. aren't shown. And so like even early on, you sort of see him and he's got like, you know, a bunch of different rings all on a string, which are like I guess he's brought with him to pawn um, and he's just sort of like slumming it. And you're thinking like, OK, is this like is this? coming out of like easy rider or something like is this like the just the on the outsider drifter movie and then it turns into oh okay you know he's made all these he you know negotiates these patents and you know uh builds a company and, and brings the lawyer in and all of that's fascinating but i mean there is this sort of like connective tissue that's just you know scenes that are missing Mm. And I and I kind of feel like, OK, so you're not going to show us certain things, but it's enough. We can pick up on what's happened, but you're more interested in that shot of him by the river or the shot of him, you know, walking in that suit or, or you know, a look and feel. And I really dig that. Yeah, it, this, this film has definitely got a uh, a mood, you know, over certain things. And I assume you watch this sort of the obviously the 40th anniversary edition is pretty much the only one you can get now, which is. The um, the full version, two hours, just over two hours, two hours eighteen, I think, two hours sixteen, something like that. Yeah. Um, when this was released, it was twenty minutes shorter, and they moved some of the scenes around. So I can't when... imagine how incoherent that would have been. Oh yeah, so apparently it was an absolute flop when it came out because people were like, "This film makes no sense." And when I'm going, well, I've watched two hours twenty minutes of thing, and there's still parts of me that I'm not <laughs> sure about. Um, but at least it sort of works. So, yeah, it's it's. It, I can imagine why this sort of fell by the wayside a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, there's stuff in this film that con- is consistently good. Like you say, but Barry's performance, um, isn't you know he's not acting. 
<laughs> it's, it's, it's a performance, but it's not acted. It, it doesn't require of him to be um, overly dramatic. Like, you know, this isn't where he's going to have... He has scenes of uh, dramatic dialogue, you know, with, or conversing with other, with other characters. But because of his sort of, like you say, that, that alien aloofness, like he can play it or do, does play it a certain way. And it works yeah. because he's that unusual character. Like, you know, uh, especially like as he gets more and more sort of like, you know, uh, influenced by alcohol and all this other stuff and the weirdness that comes later. Like, you're like yeah, he can just be odd and a bit, you know, abstract. And um, it, it seems to all work. It sort of hangs together as a performance that I'm... I'm where I think other if it were if it was a proper actor, you know, someone who definitely took it on his role would probably be applying too much acting to it, and you wouldn't get that, you know, um, alienness. Yeah, and so much of why that works is sort of like the long pause mm. with a close-up on Bobby's face as he looks sort of inscrutable, expressionless, and then says something in a sort of like monotone voice that should be a sort of like emotional statement or yeah. has failed to read the emotional situation, um, you know, in a, in a sort of like, you know, autistic sort of way mm. where, you know, it's like, yeah, you're not responding to the, the, to the emotional statement that's been said. You're literally responding to it in a way that's not incorrect, but, does seem sort of a little off. Yeah, it's almost like Spock taken to the ultimate level, isn't it? That's <laughs> like completely devoid of emotion, especially towards the start of the film. Like he's completely devoid of emotion when he takes those patents and stuff to to Farnsworth, and he's having that conversation, and he's like, you know, and he's saying, "Well, no, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, I'm going to pay you this much money, and, and I'm going to take for these much hours, and then I'll, in fact, I'm going to make you, you know, CEO of the company and this other stuff." Like it's all straight fact. Like, you know, he's not trying to... Farnsworth's a bit like, are you conning me? Like, you know, mm. but you can see, like, the, there is no con. It's just like, no, I'm just I'm just telling you what's going to happen. Um, and well, it's, it's... What I really love about that is, like, you know, like I said, I was sort of, like, a little concerned at the beginning that it was going to be sort of like a sort of 60s counterculture, mm. sort of like you know, do drugs drop out kind of kind of thing, which which is sort of like stranger in strange land. Right. You know, mm -hmm. but there's this weird way. I mean. You know, we were living in this sort of like post post capitalistic hellscape, uh, you know, and we have here's this alien and he like clearly has he cares about his family back on his alien planet you see them it's 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 quite amazing to see um and he clearly has he's not a bad guy but he becomes a sort of ceo type and he embraces capitalism but it's a means to an end and you don't mm. know really until halfway through what his intention is that the whole point of all of this is to build a rocket and get water back to his dying planet that's not clear at all through most of the movie no. it, it's like i'm an alien i guess the way you succeed here is through business but it, it's 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 interesting to me that he's not like either a messiah you know who's who's 
super enlightened or a evil person, that whole capitalism thing is just a means to an end for him. And he does it well. Yeah, well, it's a means to an end to him. It's it's mm. the people around him that sort of, you know, because there's a great, uh, one of the, the is that for, it's slightly chunky bit at the beginning, that's choppy bit at the beginning, but there's a great line when he showed him the patents to this to Farnsworth and he says about taking them to the thing and he says, um, well, when you're rich, when you've got all the money that I'm going to give you, you can buy, you know, you can get rid of all this sound equipment that you've got and you can buy some of my, some of mine. And he's like, well, what, even though work for you? And he's like, well, that cost, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, 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 again, like, not said with emotion, it's just said. But like you say, this, you know, it, so for him, he's like, well, no, I, I need to make money to, to he knows his end. Uh, but I like the fact that other people around him instantly are like, you know, well, you know, what's the con? What's the game here in the business side of things? And um, Farnsworth obviously tries to run it as a business and questions him and stuff down the line when he says, I want to do this, I want to do that. And so you see the, 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 the swings and roundabouts of capitalism going on around him, but he keeps himself, you know, suitably distant um, from it for the most yeah. part. And he doesn't, he doesn't relish it. He doesn't relish like, you know, ruining the small guy and putting you know uh radio shack out of business or something mm. you know uh so it, it, it's not played as evil but i think that inscrutability plays into that too where where you know you spend a lot of time wondering what is his motivation or what is he feeling um and that makes it a more interesting movie i think yeah yeah i mean yeah you you you, you are for a large portion of the film, in the same position as some of the people he works with, when they're like, "Yeah, no, he's brilliant," but I don't know what he's, I don't, I don't know what what he is. I don't know what his what his objective is or who he is. Really, they're all a bit in the dark. They just seem to see that they can make something from it. And the same with like the, the character played by Rip Torn, mm. like the scientist guy. Like he's another interesting one. The same in the same way that like you know you see him leaving his job and he, I, I like that speech he gives to his boss at whatever school and that's out was like we're just teaching them to think like middle-aged people because that's what we know we're just teaching them stuff that's, that's 10 years 15 years old let's try and be and then so he does jump on board and even that then he's like no i, I am going to be pushing the boundaries and that will mean doing some inscrutable things so it's, you know again that, that he's the reason that he gets captured later on in fact he's one of the last characters you see it's not really, you know. So although it's the man who felt worth, it's a lot of the characters around him that seem to be driving, you know, the behaviours that you're looking at and going, yeah, that's how a human would act. You know, we, mm. we aren't great. You know, Mary Lou, another, you know, the other character, the sort of the third sort of important character to him, is this just this waitress that he meets. This sounds horrible to say, just this waitress, but this, she is just a waitress that he meets, and they have this relationship, and she's like well through through a series of it becomes absolutely psychologically broken by the end of the film yeah so it is interesting that he's at the center of it but like he never really changes but it's the people around and the circumstances do change he changes you know i mean mm. you know he descends into to alcoholism and yeah. you know depression and uh and i mean i think the ending is is quite good uh, in that respect. But I, I think like, you know, Mary Lou sort of represents, um, you know, and, and maybe it's sexist that it's, you know, the the female character who does this, but she sort of represents the everyman, right? Mm. She's just, 
you know, sort of like salt of the earth, you know, normal American, you know, um, works hard, takes him to church, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. which is hilarious seeing Bowie being awkward in church and being like, hey, at least I can sing, you know, like there's a kind of camaraderie here. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. And, you know, she doesn't want all that much from life. I mean, she mm. represents that sort of every man as opposed to the, uh, you know, the lawyer and the professor. Um, but it's interesting that, you know, like Bowie doesn't um, ever seem to agonize about the fact that, like, he is cheating on his wife yeah. uh, on this other planet. It's not clear if there is even that concept of monogamy on his planet, although it well, does seem to be like a family unit. It do, it do, that's an interesting thing as well, though, because, um, uh, well, maybe it's on, two, two things that just sort of struck me there that sort of you mentioned is basically the trifecta of people that he is surrounded with and you follow through this film is uh, corporate capitalism, uh, academic interests, and the every you know as you said the everyman the sort of the regular joe and again i think one of the interesting things about this film is as you said it's literally about an alien you see him in his alien form and we so you know it's not a case of like is he crazy like is this a thing like no no he is definitely an alien um but then it's just, it's, it's not like man in black or et or you know close encounter the third kind this is this is a sort of like um so you get to see, you know, although this this extraordinary character is at the centre of all this, who is an alien, his it's almost like yeah, here's how things would react. Capitalism goes, how can we exploit this? Mm-hmm. How can we make money from this? Academia shows a curiosity and ends up trying to destroy it through its, or at least I almost think it's a criti- it's a criticism of, of this guy sort of like progress in academia where they're like, you've introduced, you've invited in, and then you almost sort of try to destroy the thing you are trying to respect and learn about and then that, that that concept of like we kill to dissect yes exactly later on and then the regular regular joe struggles with this concept of anything outside of their bubble and so i like the fact that these do, these three characters you know are um you know representative of that and then trying, trying to without showing massive epoch changing things going on in society like i say it's all it's, it's a relatively small story in some respects yeah and it and i like that it is ambiguous but you know like i don't think the story is really that ambiguous i don't hmm. think any of the narrative is ambiguous i don't think you know um but but there are these questions of like well is he cheating on his wife well that's left for you to figure out Oh, um, no, I'd say, I'd say it's left for you to determine based on your morality because it's again it could be an alien morality because the, yeah, the other point the other point I was going to make is he does obviously have sex with uh, Mary Lou using I don't know God knows how it works but human organs like, you know human sex organs you do see Bowie Wang flying around in this film on several occasions but when he he's presented as an alien when he's Bowie reduced... Wang is that one word or two <laughs> that's two that's <laughs> Um, um, when when you see him in his alien form, he is like he's like action man. You know, he's he's sort of genitally free, and you see in in one of the I love some of the stuff where you get these flashes of his family or his relationship with his wife. You see them covered in this goo, and so you're like, what the fuck is that? What is going on? 
as he's sort of lying on this bed and Mary Lou's trying to sort of, you know, obviously trying to process this stuff. And then she sort of gives in, takes her clothes off and she's about to lie with him and she pulls her hand away and it's all gooey and sticky. And you realise that everything he's been doing up until this point has been like, okay, I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll adapt and acclimatise and I'll do your weird, you know, <laughs> human interactions and human sexual acts. And he's about to try and share with her the, the, to me, that was the, that was the moment he truly cheated on his wife because he's like, "Oh no, I'm going to share with you how I, you know, share physicality in our species," and it revolts her and she runs away and and it breaks her. And to me, so at that point, I don't feel he does cheat on his wife in that sense until that moment, really, because um, it's that's when he's like truly trying to share himself and his his physicality with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 you know. Not to jump ahead, but he never gets back home, uh, you know, um, you know, which I don't know. I mean, I think that I think that the like those moments and how we're allowed to feel what we feel about them. The mm. movie doesn't tell us what we should feel about him. It doesn't tell us what we should feel about that relationship. Like, obviously, it starts very superficially. I mean, she's she sort of doesn't have a lot going for him, takes him, you know, he's got this problem where if he moves quickly, you know, mm-hmm. he gets, you know, that's another thing is he's not a powerful alien. You know, yeah. he has no superpowers. In fact, if anything, he is deficient. He can't ride an elevator without getting, you know, passing out. Um, but he always demands the car drive slower. There's this whole sort of like refrain through the whole movie. Um uh, you know, he's vulnerable to x-rays. On the other hand, he can see them. But really, his superpower is knowing advanced technology. Mm. Um, but, you know, it doesn't tell us what is that morality like on his home planet. Uh, we're left to assume it's more or less like ours, but it could be different in key ways. People could be less emotional there, for example. Um, and then, you know, we're also left to feel or think what we think about uh, other key moments. Like there's that wonderful moment where I think uh, he's talking with uh, Bryce, the professor, and he Mm. says like, "Um, oh, you've always had visitors. Um, And he's like, oh, they're they're clear to me. And he seems to feel like, um, you know, you know, without knowing it, uh, there's a lot of similarities to, to Martian comics, but you know, it's this idea of like, yeah, there. Like, if you were an outsider, you'd say, "Oh, it's crystal clear. Some of these people have been similar outsiders, right?" I don't know how you guys don't pick up on that. Yeah, and I guess I buy it, but we're left to sort of like make up our own mind about how often these planets are in fact visited by a lone person it's just never an invasion it's never any of those cliches of a superpowered alien or mm-hmm. an invasion fleet it this is the way it happens yeah and i love the fact he calls them visitors like you say well, yeah because it sounds like they're probably more successful than he because obviously he doesn't get home so they're sort of more like oh no they visit and they leave or whatever but um you know it, it's I, I do like some of the some of the, the conversations he has with um riptorn of uh, bryce fascinating because they are they're, they're, they are based on that that idea of science because again he, Bryce figures it out he basically like, he's the same he's like you know he's like well, you're you're one of them aren't you you, you, you aren't 
and there's a wink and a nod there. Because um, when he takes him to, the, he takes him to the spaceship, and he says, "Well, you know, I've, I've been watching you. I've learned about you, and sort of there's a mutual, res- almost like a mutual respect there." And he wants to share it with him, and he, I think he respects that academic mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. And so I find their relationship really interesting because it's that the, more so than the like he tolerates the capitalist side, the, the corporate side. He's like, Look, "I need, I need you for what I need to achieve." But I, you know, he doesn't. You don't. I don't think other than that first episode, that first episode, that first scene. Mm-hmm. I don't think he ever really shares a scene with Farnsworth again. In the same, they talk over the phone. Beyond that, after that, so they never. Um, they're they not never, close. No, right? they're There's not no close. Yeah. No, but with Bryce, with the, we, there seems he's almost like, yeah, you you potentially could be someone I can talk to. But yeah, you are willing to push the boundaries. You're willing to think similar. I can feed you information. I think I feel like I can trust you. And they have a really good. I love the conversation in the spaceship that he's built when they says about this. Do you trust me? He says, Mm -hmm. you know, about about as much as you could expect. He's like, okay, well, I'll take that. That's fine. Um, Well, I think I think he says like I'm trying to. Yes. And and Bowie says like. I'll take that. And it seems like Bowie wants to earn further trust, right? Like there's a transactional nature to that relationship, but there is also in this incredibly cold way, like reaching out for friendship, right? Yeah, you're right. It's different than his relationship with anyone except maybe Mary Lou. Yeah. Mary Lou becomes almost like an odd, I don't know. Cause he, he, there's clearly like a physical thing there, but, it doesn't seem like a friendship because he's quite he's quite happy to sort of you know when he, he sets up his televisions and he's he's doing all these other bits and pieces like he's quite happy to sort of disengage from her when he gets bored of her or frustrated with her or whatever. There's no love there mm-hmm. in that in the in, the, in what in the sense we would expect or understand. It becomes her obsession rather than his. Like she's the one that sort of later on she calls him Tommy all the time. Obviously, it's um um. Is it yeah, Thomas Newton? Thomas Jerome Newton. That's it, Thomas. Yeah. So she obviously knows it was Tommy and later on when they sort of like when she's seen it all and they sort of try to pay her off and she's like, I want to see Tommy, I want to see Tommy. Like it's yeah, he's like, no, she's she's bad news now. So like push push her aside. Like he's but even like it's not until later in the film that when they re they're reintroduced that you sort of feel, oh, there was something there. Or at least he feels that you know, in her not being there. He missed her. Um, well, I mean, it strikes me as, you know, I mean, I'm not married, but I mean, it strikes me as most relationships like mm-hmm. they're, you know, we don't look <laughs> their relationship starts in the worst way possible, which is yeah. random pairing. Right. She takes him back to his hotel room. I mean, which is weird. Like, I mean, you have a guest passed out in an elevator and you're like, I'm going to drag him into his hotel room rather than like call management or something. But one of the, one of the best, she carries him. Like she literally yeah. carries David Bowie. Like, you know, and it's, it's a great <laughs> scene of her carrying him down the, down the corridor. Really well done. Yeah. And it's another one of these like weird idiosyncratic little scenes, but but I mean, I I do feel for as idiosyncratic and ambiguous as this movie has as its vibe, I also feel like things play out pretty much as you'd expect or they should, mm. given 
what's really going on, which you don't know, you know, you're never told a crazy of at the beginning or something. And so you think about that relationship and you think this is, you know, it's like when I would get into relationships in high school, I didn't choose those partners. I mean, they were the people who I knew who were available and expressed interest. We didn't have anything in common. Mm. We were just, you know, like liked, you know, a couple of things, you know, that, uh, you know, some musical similarity or something. And in fact, we were from totally different worlds. And there was yeah. no way that was going to, I mean, here, literally different worlds. And there was no way that was going to work out. But, you know, I didn't know that at the time, you know, I, and so I think like in that scene, it, it's, it's painful for me, but it also strikes me as, yes, that's exactly how it would play out. Mm. There was, of course, there's love there. You spent time with somebody, you know, you're intimate with them. Obviously, he he shows his true form to her. There is love, there's feeling, there's reaching out for, I want this to be something more. I want this to be more intimate. I want this to be closer. Yeah. And yet, you can see from the outside, like, yeah, the odds of this working are very small. It's yeah. not like you chose each other due to, you know, 98 metrics of compatibility or something. No. And and you're right, I suppose, because he makes the choice to present his true self to her. And that, that it seems like a moment of vulnerability where he's like, no, I'm giving of myself to you. And, and, and you know, when it goes terribly wrong, <laughs> um, it's quite heartbreaking, really, because, you know, you other films could have played that up and been like you know oh this is the real you and you know you're you know you're still you and i love you but like she just like she screams and wets herself like she is terrified when he when he opens that door and i thought that was a fascinating response to have this relationship where you're like no i've known you for good so this is the other point as well is the time scale of this film yes yes good it, good point is that you, you know, it's never entirely clear when time is passing. Like they do show you because people age and you start towards the end of the film, you start seeing gray hair introduced and different bits and pieces. But that relationship, you sort of determine actually is years. You know, Mary Lou and, and Tommy are together, not it's not weeks or days, it's, it's, it's clearly a couple of years before he um, presents himself. Yeah. Right? Because that whole business empire. I mean, that's yeah. that's years in building, even if you're introducing these products. They're everywhere. You start seeing, mm. like, those products in the background. Of just, well, people you know... are using them. Yeah, you, you see, look, when, when you before you meet the professor, when you put Bryce, when he's with some of the girls and stuff, they're using the cameras and, and all this other mm. stuff. So the, te- the technology is being introduced. So, yeah, it must be years. Um, and yeah. so, they've been, so they've been together for years, and then he presents this self. You know, removes the the contact lenses, removes his ears and his hair, and also the this other stuff. And for her to be like, it's, it's kind of heartbreaking because she's sort of like, she really doesn't know how to how to process it. Like she's not, she's not um, set up to. She's not. She's not. You know, she she hasn't got the faculties to process this information to sort of go. This person I've been living with for however many years, actually. Is is a is an alien being, and well, you said it's heart- heartbreaking. Heartbreaking for whom? I feel for her. I really yeah. do. I really feel for her because that moment, because she tries again, and the, it's that whole the whole scene beginning to end, 
he makes the decision, and I understand why. Like, it, it's it's a it's a choice he makes. And when the door opens, and this obviously comes later in the film, but like so he opens <laughs> he opens the door, and her reaction is is terror, and she stands there, and you see her wet herself, and he walks past and lies on the bed, and he again like this is that weird thing of like he's not he doesn't he doesn't comfort her he doesn't yeah. say like no you know there's no sort of like compassion to say. Yeah, well, this is who I am, and, and you know, I'm still me, or whatever. You know, it just she he just leaves her and lies on the bed, and eventually she sort of processes it enough to sort of approach him on the bed. She takes her clothes off and she lays with him, and then he, I don't know, goos on her for want of a better phrase, and 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 that's when she's like, nope, can't do this, and she she screams and runs off, and she curls up into a ball in the kitchen. Yeah, and I'm like, and again, she's left to that and that's pretty much the last you see of her for for at least 15 minutes and for me the heartbreaking part of that is like you know is this 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 tsunami of of you know information that just hits her and she's because you know and and not to to downgrade his character but like she's you know she's clearly an alcoholic she's She's not, and she says repeatedly, like she wants to marry Tommy. She wants her to settle down. She's not looking for a big life. She just wants to live in this, you know, this nice house they've got in the desert next to this, this thing where they're building the rocket and all this other stuff. Like she's happy with this small life. So to be hit with this thing and then left to process it on her own, to me, I was like, fucking hell, like that's that's heartbreaking. Like no wonder she's broken later in the film. Like, you know, it's that to me was all, that was really hard to watch that in some ways because like. She's been. She. You know, it's a PTSD moment. Like that will. She knows something that she can't share with the world because no one will believe her. She. She. You know. She's trapped in it with this information, and the only person she can then share her life with is Tommy. Yeah. That's the, that's the problem of it. It both sets her free and traps her at the same time. Like he sets her free, but then she's that's like, "Well, I can't. I can't do anything with anybody else." Because I. Yeah, that- that's fascinating. I mean, you know, I was thinking that, you know, it's heartbreaking for both of them because he's revealing his true self, mm. right? You know, um, she rejects him, which is, and she well, is horrified by, yeah. you know, I mean, which, but then he doesn't have the emotional reaction you'd expect. But again, you're left to think, is he just sort of, he, he might have an re- emotional reaction, but maybe he's just being sort of like, okay, well, there's nothing I can do except lay down and just let her process this information and let her get acclimatized. But I mean, you're right about everything. And I think that that reaction strikes me, it strikes me as the correct reaction someone Mm. would have, right? And so what, what amazes me is how, you know, how inevitable, so, I mean, for a plot that seems to veer left and right when first going through it, into into just weird territory, it also has this sense of inevitability. Like, yes, that is what would happen. Mm. Um, nobody is going to be like, you know, oh, really, you're ET? No problem, honey. You know, like yeah. that's why like, this is not a Spielberg film. Yeah, you know, this does not have that Hollywood compassion and that Hollywood understanding. Um, sentimentality. That, yeah, that would come with other films. I mean, you know. 
like you said, like ET is a is a good example, um, or even Close Encounters. That thing of like, yeah, we're, we're into you, and yeah, I'm just going to jump aboard and and piss off into the galaxy with them. Like, no, this is mind shattering. Some of this information, and th- and you're right, her reaction it drives her further into alcoholism, and so the only other person she eventually can share her life with is Bryce because he knows too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, and so it it that that sort of whole thing is 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 why I sort of find the whole that that relationship really interesting. And, um, because like, at the end she you know uh, she's with Bryce after mm. you know years have passed. Mm. So yeah, but you're right about it being inevitable, and it, it feels it feels authentic. It feels sort of like as if the, you know uh, this is the reaction you'd have. But it, it's also kind of one of the things I found most because it's seventy six. The film was released, and one of the things I found that was the thing that I found bizarre, and it may be you know, I don't understand or don't know enough about the history of them at the time. Farnsworth, so you have the, you have these three characters. Bryce is a promiscuous professor who basically acknowledges he basically sleeps with all these eighteen-year-olds. His professor, yeah, with his <laughs> students, like, right. You know, I mean, that was still in the seventies. That was considered a perk of the job, believe it or yeah. not. You know. And so I didn't know what to, I didn't know how to process that in many ways because I thought the same thing. I was like, you know, no one else seems to care or give a shit about that. It's sort of like, well, that's what he does. But I'm like, mm, that, that seems like a fireable offense now. But was it at the time? Yeah. And so you that to that sort of I was like, I'm not supposed. To, I'm I, how am I supposed to feel about him? Then you have Mary Lou, who let's like say is down to earth, salt of the earth, but she's an alcoholic, and they introduce these sort of other sort of like, you know these other issues with her. And so you, but they all feel like normal people. And then Farnsworth as well. He's a lawyer and a capitalist, and you find that he's all about the money. But then he has this really sort of comfortable, openly gay relationship with this guy, and they're a really nice couple. Yeah. <laughs> and it's sort of like, and you're like, so what I like about this film is like, again, all these people, and all, you know, it's a very weird film, but all the people seem multiple dimensions that they're, they're authentic they feel like you know and and that that potential when Farnsworth's fate and his partner's fate is really again like you're a bit like oh crap that's that's a tough ending but which we'll get to in a bit but these three figures they have lives of their own and that's what I found fascinating as well is they're not just introduced into the plot you're sort of given bits bits about them as well well I mean so I, I also thought the handling of uh, Farnsworth homosexual relationship was fantastic. And you cannot yeah. imagine that this was 76, where that's not the principle of the plot. It's just not that big of a deal. Uh, it's it's it, never mentioned. They're just together. Right. Yeah. And it, it's in fact, it, I think it's it, it seems so ahead of its time. Um, the Bryce thing, you know, you were first introduced to him. As he's sleeping with these girls, you know, and, <laughs> and fooling around with them. And you don't even know who this character is yet. Yeah. And so in a movie that's already jarring, it's like, who is this guy? And why are we watching like sex hijinks? Um, but I did. I do feel like that's a little bit of a cliche. I mean, you know, so I mean, I, I went to a, a private liberal arts school where in the 90s, it was still completely normal for, mm. you know, professors to to get with students and it just wasn't talked about. Um, and you know, yeah, today 
you know, that's a much bigger deal. Um, and, you know, not that it doesn't happen, um, but there are, um, depending on the school, there are different ethical guides about that. And, and certainly, you know, the least restrictive is still that you should never have any power over that person. Mm-hmm. They cannot be your student. If they, if they are, you have to disclose it and have somebody proctor the stuff and, you know, there's no favoritism. Um, you know, that's at least that's the minimal standard yeah. that exists today. But this was a different era and that did go on. But I feel like I also feel like that's a little bit of a cliche that he's sort of this like hypersexualized, you know, sort of character who then it's interesting that he drops it as soon as he has this opportunity with world enterprises as if. You know, it's a, it's a, I mean, for my tastes, you know, it, it, coming from a professorial family, it's a little bit like those who can't do teach. And mm-hmm. so the young girls are a consolation prize for being a bitter professor who knows that you're super smart, but what you're going to do is, you know, lecture people about, you know, basic stuff for the rest of your life. And, you know, this is the sort of consolation prize. And when he's giving when he's given like a capitalist chance, he doesn't need that anymore. I mean, I found that potentially offensive in its implications. Mm -hmm. But I did want to say that both the presentation of sexuality between including, you know, the gross slime and, you know, uh, just. I mean, our human bodies are weird, right? And sexuality yeah. is weird and it has edges and it's bizarre. All three of these characters, uh, four of these characters have an interesting sexuality and sex is presented in this film in this very matter of fact way that can be weird, whether it's homosexuality or, you know, chasing after, you know, students or, you know, uh, Mary Lou and, and Tommy. Um, sex is just a part of this movie but it's never salacious. It's never no. highlighted. It's just a part of human life and a part of alien life. Mm. And I love that about this movie. Most movies either that's the point, you know, it's fatal attraction and it's about <laughs> an exploration of that, or it's nobody ever has sex, you know, uh, or there's one scene and it's the most vanilla, like, you know, uh, <laughs> oddly passionate for a married couple you know uh and and then you'll never see it again and it's like i don't i don't know this kind of like frank presentation of sexuality as part of life is again massively ahead of its time yes no i agree and it gives them all because it's not the principal part or um, even a major plot point to be perfectly honest like it just gives all characters depth because it's it's just a it's just a part of them and it just you just carry on um, and it is, it is fascinating to sort of see how that sort of, you know, it almost isn't explored. It just happens. Um, but yeah, it, one of the things to go back to sort of the, those characters, though, is you make a point about uh, Bryce and this thing of him becoming... Because he, he makes a point, doesn't he? He actually says, he says, you know, I look at these 18-year-olds now and I'm not interested. I've, I've got this new challenge for my mind. Um and so that that sort of I can see what you're saying about this idea of like you know now I can actually go and do something now rather than being a teacher. <laughs> and you're like, well, no, you you are still doing something in the school. I'm pretty sure you you're busy. Um, but even so, when he does, I love the fact that it sort of flips because he then goes to this office and then they call him up and they're like, how's it going? And he's like, 
been here three weeks. I don't really know what I'm here for. Like, no one seems to talk to me about this thing. Like, what am I supposed to be doing? Um, and, and you know, we probably had those experiences as well. You do, you start a job, and you're like, I'm not entirely sure <laughs> how all this fits together. Um, and so again, I, I like that there's there's these sort of regularities of things going on. However, there are also scenes that sort of come out of left field is incredibly odd. Not just the flashbacks of his home planet, which we'll get to in a second, but there's a scene when um, uh, Tommy is travelling with um, Mary Lou in, the, in the, the awesome limousine that he has. The sort of perfectly blue limousine thing he has. And they're going past a field, and I don't know whether he's been because he says at one point, when he drinks, he can see things. It gives him sort of, he can see things. But they're travelling through along a field, and he sort of gets out of his seat, and he's looking out the window, and then all of a sudden you see these sort of pilgrim era, yeah, people outside their house, and you're like, what's going on? Can he? Is it like can he perceive what would have existed in the past? Maybe that's what it is because you don't see any interaction at first; they're just there. Is he able to perceive? Does his uh, his sight transcend the fourth dimension? Like, can he see? You know, this is what there was a village here, and I can see it. You know, in a sort of almost like a psychic way. That's how I, that's how I interpret the scene to begin with, and then all of a sudden they react to the car, and you see the car disappear in a flash. Uh huh. And I'm like, I, 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 I don't know if he's just had a time slip. Is this supposed to be a psychic event? Is it <laughs> something else? Does it impact on the plot? No. <laughs> okay. And then they move on. It's never returned to again, and that sort of thing. And there's a couple of those, and there's some <laughs> stuff similar to that at the end. I'm like, I'm just going to enjoy it. That those scenes are interesting. Um, but I don't know. I mean, that scene in particular, did that strike you at all? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, yeah, I don't. I had the exact same reaction where initially I thought he's seeing this, and then and then it's clear something else is going on, but. You know, like I, I, I was mentioning that he doesn't seem to have superpowers, you know. Well, we don't know. We just, mm. you know, there's so much about him that we don't know. And so for me, you know, uh, that scene I sort of forget about, you know, it, it, you know, for a scene that you shouldn't be forgetting about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of forgettable. But the point of it is to me, like, we don't really know who Tommy is. We don't really know what the species is or how they perceive us or why he's so aloof. And, you know, there's something going on there, but we're never going to be able, we're never going to be let in to understand the alien. Yeah. Well, one of the things that's interesting about him as an alien is when he, and there's a, there's a good scene and it's obviously, it's done through reverse photography, but, um, you see him in his alien form, and he removes his hair, and he moves his ears, and his his, his eyebrows, and his eye. He put, takes out his eyes, and he's got these yellow, cat-like eyes and stuff. And he clearly takes off his penis, and much like Seth Brundle, probably puts it in a jar. Um, <laughs> God. But 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 then obviously he he returns to his 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 human presentation. Later in the film, he is taken. He's abducted by. Uh, it's arranged by Bryce, and I'm not entirely sure whether it's the new. There's there's the the, um, the black uh, Bernie Casey is the actor 
who are liking a lot of other things. Who's like so he's trying he's sort of it's like almost like industrial espionage. Like he's trying to take over like world enterprises and he kills Farnsworth and his partner. And then I'm not entirely sure like if he owns the company or something, because there's like something happens and you like, but that's when Tommy is taken by the company. Um, and he's not taken by the government, he's taken by and Bryce is there and he's on a table and they're investigating it. And they're all talking to him and they keep saying to him, We're gonna do these tests. But at one point they're trying to cut his nipples off. Yeah. And one of the doctors just says to him, Don't worry, you're normal. And it's a really bizarre line. Cause it's like you know, it's like, well, who are you trying to convince? Like you're cutting his nipples off. Like, what's going on? Um and obviously he's trapped then in this this building, which you're not entirely sure what else, but it's got a it's got a, a wooded a, a, a table tennis thing with it looks like it's in the wood, but it seems to be in a house with like a boarded up doors and all this other stuff. It's that's what, it's some posh settings that they wind up giving him, yeah. and yet it's this sort of like gilded cage sort of prison. And it is strange to think like, why are you spending all this money to like, you know, you're not probing him for information that you need to. <laughs> I mean, it seems as if, like, I, my take, like, I think that uh, Mr. Peter's character is definitely underdeveloped. I mean, yeah. you know, he's like another character who could have been really interesting, but he's introduced so late, and you think he's going to be like another Bryce who's kind of introduced, mm. you know, a, a, a bit later on, um, and, and then becomes important. And we just see almost nothing of Mr. Peter's. I thought that he worked for like a rival company of some sort that, you know, but it's not at all clear. It's clear. It's not the government. No. Um, it might be a coup within, you know, uh, world enterprises or, you know, but it does seem as if like that, you know, I mean, I, I also was puzzled by um, why these tests are not more successful. <laughs> you know, like how, how long does it take to be like, you know what? I know none of us want to touch this dude's junk, but i that's not part of his anatomy. Of Look, it unscrews. Look, it off. off. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it, because you see, and there is a couple of scenes where this is where like they've broken Tommy. Before we get to that, though, you're talking about the, the, the um, ahead of its time as well, and it's just not making a point. You talk about Mr. Peters, or Mr. Peterson, I can't remember his name, but the, the Bernie Casey character, like, um, in an interracial marriage, uh, not mentioned, doesn't matter. But again, I was like, this is 76, you know, this is quite an interesting, you know, they, they're doing these taboos, but they're not making, they're not pointing them out. They're just sort of doing them and going like, and we're off. And you go, all right, cool, move on. All right, not a problem. Um, yeah, so I do find a that... deal about it than a TV show would today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In 76, and they're just like, yeah, he's just married to this, like, him, he and his wife, and they've got, they've got two kids, and you see a whole sort of like, you know, where they're putting the kids to bed and they're going to sort of they're talking about stuff. And it's like, it's just a family scene. But, there's, you know, if that was a show now, there would, there'd be this like, you know, and we've created this interracial couple. And you're like, in 76, you know, Nicholas Rowe didn't give a shit. Like, it was just a thing. It's bizarre. Um, but when you see, see Tommy, like, he has that bed hanging on chains and they, they wake him up and they get him up and they sort of they give him an injection. And several people are sort of asking him questions at the same time. It just focuses on Tommy, and he's sort of saying, "Look, I've told you this before." And he's he's really sort of just repeating again. He's like, "I've told you this before. I came on my own. I don't know anybody else. I don't know what's going on. You know, I'm I'm here for this purpose. I, I I'm not here to hurt anybody." And you can see almost like, although he's being like you say, he's he's, he's 
not giving a massive again this is why i think i like it's being bowie not some actor who's trying to try and give it all this stuff give it some inflection he's just going but you can see there's a definite like i can't i'm broken like i'm just gonna keep drinking my gin and, and there's nothing else to do about this um is is interesting like I, again like they take him and they, they abduct him and they do an experiment like you say I, I hadn't thought about that like yeah they don't prove anything in fact in fact they ruin an experiment because he says like look i'll take out they're about to take they give it the tweezers he says look, i'll take up my eyes because i was going to say one of the things they do with the scene is when he is putting his stuff back on he puts like a, a, a plastic eye covering back into his eye and to film it they clearly contacts right yeah but like big fucking because yeah. <laughs> but when he's um doing it in the film you know to see how they do it they've cleared it with reverse photography because it sort of zaps back into his eye but even to do that bowie must have had that in his eye and yeah. that i was like oh no no that's gross <laughs> um, uh but um yeah so they, they they x-ray his eyes and he's like no i can see x-rays it'll hurt my eyes and it'll damage these these eye coverings and they force him to have it and that's when he says like he says well i can't take them off now you've <laughs> you've knackered Dude, them yeah um and so that was again like you know there's all these sort of like frustrations he has but he never really fights back he's just like oh, i'll do it i'll do it come on please i'm begging you just let me do it like you said he's not it's it's you know He's not going to be like, all right, I have all these superpowers and now I've got telekinesis and I'm going to blast you around the room. <laughs> like, no, I'm a skinny dude and I'm, I'm, yeah, you're beating me up. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like he he's not resisting, but he's not giving information. It feels to me like there's this kind of like dance going on there where, you know, he he's willing to say, you know, I came alone and all this stuff, but he's not explaining his anatomy and how it works. Mm. You know, it's like, okay. I'll tell these people just what I like. He could have volunteered to take out, you know, his eyes early on and say, like, all right, look, guys, full disclosure, I'm an alien. I'm going to take my eyes off. I'm going to take my face off. I'm going to take my penis off. <laughs> you know, he doesn't do that. It's like he's playing this kind of cat and mouse game where he's giving, he's answering honestly, but he's not volunteering stuff. And mm. they want more information and they don't trust him you know, not perhaps naturally enough. Um, and yeah, but I mean the, my, so I, I mean, I like that dynamic again, it's strange. It's, you know, you're watching it and it's just like, okay, I don't know how to take this, but I, the thing that, the thing that bothers me is you'd think like, if you're going to x-ray his eyes, x-ray his body, you know, yeah. uh, see what his anatomy looks like. How do you not notice that parts of his anatomy, including his face are, uh, artificial, even mm. if, you know, there's blood coursing through them. It's some sort of like replicant advanced stuff. Okay, fine. But I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like they would have gotten further with that. Um, although I do love, I do love that they just like abandoned the project. Right. And it's like, yeah. They're just like, yeah, you know, it's like very corporate, you know, you and I like talking about like being in, in, a, in a cubicle and going like, you know, I've been here for three weeks. Not sure why I'm doing yeah. any of these things I'm tasked with. Like then I've been here 10 years, um, you know, or five years. This project that I'm working on was basically stopped 
three years ago, nobody's concerned with Bowie anymore. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, it's that co- sort of corporate momentum of like, yeah, we do have that house that we pay for that, you know, we got what we were going to get from him and we lost interest. Yeah. I, and this is where the sort of the passage of time becomes incredibly evident. And again, like, I wasn't sure how long he was in there being experimented on because it starts with when you first see him or there's a scene at the very beginning of this this section of the film where he's being experimented on and Bryce is there and he's, he's calling to him as a friend as he's like you know help me get me out of this and that's quite sad because he walks off and he leaves him there which again is that idea of the coldness of um you know, the, the the need to dissect and to understand is going to sort of like overcome the potential friendship that he's he's grown, which is quite sad. <clears throat> but then he's obviously there, and he's obviously he's he's indulging in alcoholism and and whatever else. And then Mary Lou sort of just walks in. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love that it's 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 almost done like a comedy. Like there there are moments in this where timing is spot on. Like he's, you know, building himself a gin and tonic, and she walks through the doors, and she's looking around. And he's like, "What? What the? F- how did you get in?" And he says, to her, "How did you get it in?" And she's like, "Well, through the front door." And he just sort of like totters off through the house. He's like, "What?" And it's locked again. Um, and it's just fascinating. About well, th- then she sort of lives with him for a period, and she's but they've aged her. Like she's now looking yeah. older. Um, and she lives with him for a bit. And again, they have this weird sort of sex scene where he's they're firing blanks at each other. I didn't know if that was supposed to be like a euphemism for anything. Um, but like he threatens to kill her and then sort of like he fires it. And then it's like, oh, no, it's full of blanks. Ha, ha, ha. Let's shoot at each other. Um, and that goes while, on. While like, we screw. Yeah. But that seemed to go on for like well, five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but the again it, it's, again how long are they there together? Because then she sort of disappears, mm-hmm. um, and then he finds that the doors open, and that's sort of where this, it sort of comes to a bit of an end, really, for him at least. And so, so yeah, there's this idea of like, did someone just go? He can't come back to world, you know, enterprises. He's, he's sort of like you know he's on, he's now on the outside of that. But we can't keep him any longer, so we're just going to sort of leave the... A bit like if... Oh, I really don't like this cat, so we're going to leave this door open to see if they go away. <laughs> uh, so, so the way I read it, I mean, I think it's probably days that she's with mm. him. Um, but the way that I read it is, um, you know, like he says about the gun, like, you know, he's drunk and he's just like, this is what I have in my life, right? Like I asked for a gun and they gave me a gun, you know, like I have what I want, but I'm a prisoner. Um, And so Mary Lou is, you know, brought to him or, you know, maybe he's asked for her and we, we haven't seen it or she's inquired. We don't really know, but it's clear at this point that like that house still has overseers. There's still people in the corporate structure that, like, are basically tasked with monitoring him, bring him a gun, open the door for Mary Lou, or, you know, leave it unlocked for her. Um, But that same corporation is not interested in really probing him for information anymore. No. They're, like, they're done with him. Um, So he... So my reading is like, okay, we're in that sort that sort of late stage of the corporation isn't interested in, and that basically somebody screws up and those, you know, I imagine just like 
two um, very much kind of like Alan Moore characters who are just sort of like uh, working stiffs, you know, who are uh, tasked with, um, you know, monitoring him and bringing him, you know, his booze. It's a thankless, horrible job. Mm. And one of them just opens and, and they just sit and chat about how dumb their job is. Yeah. And one of them forgot to lock it after Mary Lou came. And that's why he escapes. And it kind of does. And probably the corporation doesn't notice or care anyway, because he's old. You know, he's like, we've got top men on it. He's in a warehouse, basically, at the end yeah. of Indiana Jones. Yeah. I, but he's not. The, the thing is, when he does go out, because you learn, like, you know, that when he gets out of that building, like, it's not like he stays incognito although he looks like he is trying to stay incognito he goes and releases a bloody album he basically goes off and becomes david bowie um and again like this is one of the bizarrest things there's two bits actually and we'll get to this final scene uh, and we'll go, we'll go back on to other bits but so basically after he's escaped you then go on to a little t- um section and it, again it, i'm assuming it's some years later again because they've aged mary lou and bryce they are together it's christmas and they've been drinking. And then Bryce goes out, goes to a record shop, and for some reason he picks out an album called The Visitor and asks to listen to a track. I don't know how he came across this album. I don't know how he identified it as being the thing. He just sort of does. However, and I, again, this is an interesting thing. They, they obviously filmed in a real record shop. If you watch that scene, there are some Bowie albums in the background. <laughs> I did not notice that. Yeah, I, I I saw one. I was like, "Hang on a minute," and I googled it, and there are. <laughs> yeah. So David Bowie exists in that universe, <laughs> which is bizarre in itself. Um, but again, like if you're gonna have the end of your film contain the listening of a musical track on an album, and your star of your film is David Bowie, yeah. and you don't have a musical track sang by David Bowie in the film. I sort of feel like that was a missed opportunity. Um, Even a snippet of a song or something, it felt really bizarre for me to have, I don't know, maybe that's my corporate side thinking. No, I mean, I know what you're saying. I think that, like, you know, gut reaction, first impression, right, absolutely. And, you know, like... uh Ziggy Stardust, you know, is a that whole album is a sort of like semi concept album of, mm. you know, the story of Ziggy Stardust. And supposedly all the songs are, you know, part of that that narrative. It's a very lucid narrative. But, you know, and but they never made a movie about it. Uh, so, you know, this is obviously, especially with that ending, uh, you know, with him recording an album uh, touches on all of that. The flip side is, you know, so so I'll, I agree with you. It's weird. And apparently they were going to have Bowie songs in it. And then it, contracts fell through or something. Mm. But the flip side of it is that I could make the counter argument. And the counter argument is I like this movie as it is. And I feel like the Dave, if, if this had like a David Bowie soundtrack, mm. especially song songs, first of all, a lot of David Bowie music is not as good as everyone remembers. Oh, yeah. Um, you you. know, some of it is fantastic. It's certainly, you know, I mean, I think especially I'm a huge fan of this sort of like 
70s, uh, you know, what Lou Reed was doing and Bowie was doing in terms of questioning, uh, you know, uh, gender and presentation on stage and outsider stuff and doing weird experimental stuff. Having said that, those songs could have made this sort of like, hey, it's the David Bowie show, you know, yes. like, get it? Yeah. That's David Bowie, you know? And I know what you're saying there about the ending, but like, if, if that song is Ziggy Stardust, then it's like, it reduces the man who fell to earth to like the origin of Ziggy Stardust, you know, yeah. or, you know, Would this you is how that song got written. Which is, well, I actually have my notes. Does, does he become David Bowie? Like, cause again, like, it's years between him escaping that that apartment and him meeting Bryce again. So I was like, does he go off and become a pop star? Like, you know, because he doesn't age. Like, all the other characters age. He doesn't. Yeah. Um. So that that was the sort of, I got to the end and I was like, have I just seen like a, is this meant to be like a bio, biography film? Is this some like weird? <laughs> um. But yeah, no, I, I like I, I like the ending as well because the other thing I like about the ending again is that sort of frankness um, yeah. of the character of Tommy. Like he meets him at this on this table, and Bryce is like, you know, oh, he, I, don't, I don't know how he sort of tracked him down. It's not really clear. I don't think it really matters. But his old like Tommy's opinion is just like, well, do you need twenty money? Do you need anything? You know, I've still got money. I'm still rich. You know, so if you need anything, just let me know. Like, I can't, I can't really be your friend anymore. But like, if you need anything, just let me know. And that's it, really. And it's sort of like you know, so it's not. There's not this sort of again, like if this was a Hollywood movie, like there'd be this sentimental, you know, uh, reconciliation, or they'd both have this sort of like touching monologue reflecting on everything that's happened. And he's, he's bit... always good to each other, but the years have passed and. You know yeah. that was the time of my lifetime. Yeah, yeah, you know. exactly. Like water under the bridge, but in reflection, like, yeah, you were the best thing that ever happened to me, kind of thing. Like, there isn't that. Like, no. it's, cl it's clear that like Tommy's still got PTSD. He's still drinking. He's still. He's not, you know, in fact, if anything, he's got worse. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like you know, no. At the end of this film, like, there is no redemption. There is no reconciliation. He's failed his mission. So we're going to get to his family in a second, and. It, I love the fact that it ends with him literally just like dipping his head. And he's like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. He's like, does he fall unconscious? He's just a uh, drunk. He's just kind of destroyed. Mm. That's sort of the finale. <laughs> yeah. Cause again, it's, it's, it's the, the, the song that he wrote and he, he said, obviously the first of the album, but there's a song on it in particular that apparently gives him away as being yeah. the Tommy Newton that they know. And he says, Oh, he says, Oh, did you write that for Mary Lou? He says, no, I wrote it for my wife. Yeah. Uh, she'll hear it on the radio. And he's in, in Tommy and um, Bryce says, well, we've all, we all get most things through the radios these days. And I think he's trying to sort of be lighthearted, but yeah. it's this clear thing of like, they've obviously, you know, um, they've explained previously that on Tommy's planet, they've experienced Earth culture through radio waves and television waves. You know, so he's seen these things. So he's done it. So it's going to go out into the ether, and she's going to hear it. But he obviously know he knows she's dead, yeah. and so it's it's this really somber ending. That's really, really sort of like. Well, I mean, you know, I, I love. I guess I love somber endings. No, I do I, like it. Yeah, I, I I love everything about this this ending. Um, it, it seems to me that yeah, I mean, so so I love that he 
is not going to build another rocket ship, right? Like he's, yeah. he's not, he's given up on the spaceship. Um, and all that's left to him is just to send a message to hope that mm-hmm. a message could get to his wife. Even, you know, like you said, I mean, by the time it gets there, she's going to be dead. Um, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe the film knows that maybe the film doesn't, but, um, but that's seems really sad, but I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it, it seems correct. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I love that he, and that he's sort of been forgotten by, I mean, it's strange that he's recorded this album, um, <laughs> but at least there's no, there's no, uh, implication that it's a tremendous hit. Um, another thing that I love is like you said, uh, you know, they can't go back and Tommy offers money uh, and he says, well, what do you think of, of the album? And Bryce says he didn't like it, which I, I love, <laughs> yeah. you know. It's, not it's for not me. Uh, <coughs> he's like, not for me. Yeah. And that's what he says, well, I didn't make it for you. Um, right. Uh, which is a which great is statement. A little defensive, right? <clears throat> but, you know, I mean, I love that interaction. And again, it's the opposite of what you would expect from the sort of sentimental Hollywood, right? Like, you know, two thumbs up. Like, it's yeah. like nothing Earth has heard before. You know, none of the movie doesn't do any of that. Um, I mean, it seems as if I think that he his metabolism can't process alcohol, you know, comp- properly and that he is more prone to alcoholism than mm. than we humans are. Um and he seems completely dependent, um, if not like a functioning alcoholic kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I love that. Uh, I love that Bryce doesn't like the album. I love that this is the recompense left to him is to send a message to his wife. And I love that, like like you said, it avoids that sort of sentimentality in the same way that the last conversation with Mary Lou does. Mm. It's like. Yes, we went through this thing. Um, you know, that that whole conversation with Mary Lou ends with, you know, them saying that they don't love each other anymore. You know, like they reunited for this yeah. playful sex and it was good to see each other. But whatever we had is is past and um, I don't feel it anymore. And maybe it was stupid all along and there's no resentment. There's no mm-hmm. anger there. There's no lashing out and throwing things. And I feel like that ending with Bryce kind of parallels that. Yeah, but it feels, again, like you say, about natural. Like, you know, that sometimes that happens with friends. When you do, you sort of go, yeah, you, you meet up after years and you go, oh, good to see you. And that's it. You know, you don't sort of go, you know, it's not that, it's not like every sort of a Hollywood moment when you sort of see someone go, oh, even after, even after 12 years, it's like we've never been apart. You know, it's sort of like, oh, no, no, it is. That's a decade. Because um, one of the questions about the finale before we move on to the next point is, uh, Tommy asks Bryce, he says, oh, do you see much of Mary Lou? And, and Bryce says, no, I don't, really. But we've seen that he's together with her. And I'm not entirely sure he's to say that he's moved on or is he lying um, to sort of save I Tommy. He's lying. Yeah, I, I thought I think- so. To sort of not have to explain that they're like, oh no, I'm I'm with her now. Um, so yeah, the, but the other thing is we talk about this thing of him going out to his to his family or to his wife. He's sending this message. Um, one of the things you see throughout the film, or at least sort of like the second sort of half of the film, are these flashes of um, 
he and his well, it starts off there were sections of he and his family his wife and two children on this planet this desolate desert planet and there's like a trail train monorail kind of thing with a canopy over it and stuff like and it's then a, it's like a mobile house like on this kind of like yeah kind of uh it looks really good but like the the monorail motion is kind of like cheap star old star wars kind of like uh yeah you can sort of tell they were like right this is like four minutes of film so let's not spend too much on it um there's like a golf cart inside that yeah, and, uh, yeah <laughs> <you know>. clearly <laughs> um but you see these flashes there's a bit with them together him leaving and then there's sort of like you see her or they see her they see his, his his partner his wife with the two children and then it's sort of them waiting and then eventually it's them what like, you know the the one of them crawling towards her, but the other one died dead across her lap. And then he collapses. And then eventually it goes back later on to see them just lying there. And then the final thing is like the sand has overtaken them and they're just there and things have collapsed around them. The question I have is, did that really happen? Or is that Tommy's guilt playing out in his own mind? Is him going, this is, I left them behind to this fate. And so we're seeing what he's thinking about. And that, that, you, I suppose you can see it either way, but I was just curious as to how you interpreted that. I mean, I, I, I think it, I think there's no reason to think that it's not, that it's not really happening. Mm. Um, having said that, you know, saying that that's just his guilt and we have seen, like, we don't know what's going on with those, with those pilgrims. Right. Mm -hmm. So is he, seeing this is he you know uh having does he have some connection to her across the stars i don't know i mean is this is this part of his seeing power yeah it's amb ambiguous and you can see it that way if you want i mean i tend to think there's no reason not to think that it's real accurate yeah that it's accurate mm. uh, yeah and well, i like that that i love that that it's sad <laughs> well i like the fact it was sad but without Again, this is a thing of modern cinema, but there's no like rousing, sad music sort of, you know, swelling up behind it. Again, like with a lot of other things, it's just very matter of fact. In fact, I don't think there's any score behind it at all in, in several of them, apart from the wind whistling by. It's just, again, very stark and raw of these, this, this family unit dying of dehydration or starvation and yeah so it is it's really so i mean this is obviously a really somber film but um it's just it's just interesting like you said because they, they pop up at interesting times as well like and i can't remember exactly but it's not like they're not inserts between between scenes right they actually crop up during, during. scenes yes <laughs> And so at times that the, the, you see things and you're like he's doing other things or it might be you know i can't remember when they are now but it feels like when they appear is important. Yes. It but feels like we... he it feels like he is imagining and thinking of them. Mm. But there's no reason to think that this isn't occurring. Didn't happen. Yeah. yeah, like at first I thought this is what he's he's remembering, right? Mm. And then it seems to the plot is advancing uh on the alien planet and it's clear like oh, he's not remembering, he's either seeing this or we're cutting to what's happening there. Yeah. I know what you mean. Um, but I think that invites us to, to, to wonder, you know, like 
and and through that juxtaposition, right? It's like Eisensteinian, you know, juxtaposition that it makes us wonder about what those scenes are supposed to be, but it also makes us imagine that he is homesick without Bowie ever having to project emotion. Mm. And that's the thing that this film does is it sort of it conveys emotion for the Tommy character without really Tommy having to convey emotion and it does it <laughs> on several occasions. Um yeah, because again, one of the things, yeah, and I do find this scenes fascinating again, because again, and also like say so the costuming and the setup and everything is really simplistic. Like they they haven't gone, and obviously there'd be a budgetary thing and, and, and a sort of a technology thing, like you know, but the suits they're wearing, um, made me think of June. Yeah, again, that thing of like the suits are clearly designed. They've got these little uh, things around them with, with sort of a liquid moving around inside them and stuff. And mm-hmm. I was going, like, oh, okay, so they've got like a that sort of suit. So I was like, again, like, you know, yeah. And I was like, okay, again, there's some cool ideas in this where like if this had been a modern take, you'd have probably spent the first twenty minutes on that planet. Mm-hmm. You know exploring that culture and that sort of thing and yeah fine but I, I i'm so glad that it's left so ambiguous and so sort of like i don't know how that society works he never sits down and explains it like at no point does he so again like there's never that conversation with post him revealing himself to um to mary lou where he's like well on my planet this is a sign <laughs> of affection or you know, this is how we do things, and the High Council sent me to find water, or any of that shit. Like, it, it does, it's not in there. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, yeah, I don't need, uh, you know, I don't need uh, Kal-El fighting dragons for the first 30 minutes of the, <laughs> the Man Who Fell to Earth remake. Um, no, and, 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 I, and I was reminded of, like, you know, I mean, famously, supposedly... Um, uh, what's his name of the Godfather remarked uh, filming Superman, you know, like Brando. just right. Marlon Brando. Thank you. Um, he's so forgettable. Um, <laughs> uh, just a joke that, you know, um, you know, why don't you just film a potted plant or something? Why do I, who knows what Kryptonians look like? And there, but that movie was an attempt to like that alien planet. You see more of it, but it mm. does not explain really how it works. No. And it's much more serious science fiction. And I feel like, you know, this is this is even more in that direction um, of embracing that ambiguity. Don't explain it. Show it. And I had a similar reaction to those scenes that sort of my first reaction was like, eh, that looks a little cheap. Yeah. But then but then I get used to it. and I'm like, no, it's conveying what it needs to convey, you know, in a very minimalist way. I don't need it to be, uh, you know, uh, an elaborate thing. It's really about the really the emotional core of that family. And, you know, um, for me, what I really like about that is assuming that 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 does really happen. uh, You know, not only is it sad, but like it's that sense of inevitability. Right. Mm. Like. How many times have we seen, uh, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's a Krypton, right? You know, doomed planet, a, a desperate attempt to, to get clear, you know, Earth has got to go out into the galaxy to save itself. You know, here's a planet where, yeah, 
It's dying. It needs water. Uh, he's presumably vol bravely volunteered. You know, mm -hmm. we don't know. We don't know anything about how that worked. But most of those missions are not going to be successful. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's like, look, we always knew this was a long shot. And now I'm stranded here. Um, and I think it's it's one of the last lines where he says, I think Bryce says something like, I'm sorry about what happened to you. And it's as close as he comes to a sort of like emotional reconciliation. Mm. And Tommy, drunk off his ass, says like, we would have we would have done the same thing to you. Yeah. You know? I love this. If you'd have come to our place, this is the, way he, the phrase he yeah. uses. We'd have probably done the same if you'd come to our place. And yeah. it's, it's a very flippant comment, but it's it's true. You know, yeah, we'd have probably experimented. If we'd have been in a better situation, we'd have probably done the same to you. Um, Sure. Like, yeah. we're not some enlightened... I mean, that's as close as you get to, like, understanding his culture, that, no, they're not some enlightened culture yeah. either. They have the same stupid stuff that we do. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a really good point, actually. Yeah, because, you know, the, like you say, the only thing that Tommy has is knowledge of technology. So he's, you know, and you, but you don't know his role on the other planet. You know, there's no sort of thing of like, I was a scientist and all this other stuff. Or I was a warrior. He just knows this stuff. So he may have learned it before he left. Um, And then... That's it. Like you say, he's got abilities, but they're not like superpowers. It's not like he can go off and go become like, well, I can't get home, but now I can become, you know, Bowie Man or anything like that. Like he's stuck, you know, he, yeah, he is just becoming, he becomes one of us, really. Sort of, um, the, 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 the only interesting thing I found, I took away from the ending as well is that he, obviously he doesn't seem to age. Yeah. So there's a different biology there. And there was a part of me that was like, I left the film and I was like, I wonder where he is now. Like, you know, obviously, we can't have, you know, tragically, we couldn't have David Bowie back. And obviously, he did he did age. Um, but what would Tommy have done, like, 50 years later? I don't think he's going to do anything. I mean... That's what I mean, yeah. I think, yeah. Because he's, he's just going to... He's, he's probably going to die in some alcohol-related accident, and people are going to, you know, I mean, you know, maybe somebody finds out his anatomy or or not. Maybe, you know, there's, you know, Bryce is, and Mary Lou are fighting for, you know, his inheritance or, or whatever, or it goes to the state. Uh, who knows? But, I mean, I think that that's... I would love to, you know, I would love to see an old Bowie in The Man Who Fell to Earth too. But mm. I mean, I uh, no, I mean, I, I feel as if that's supposed to be the end of his story yeah. and it's him collapsing. He could even have died at that moment. Mm. Right. I mean, he collapses in a stupor. And I think the point is, like, he's not going to get better. Right. Like, yeah. this is as far the story has gone in so many different arcs and new directions. If they had another arc, they would have shown it to us. Yeah. Uh, this that's. This is the the real end of the line, whether he's dead or not. Yeah, no, yeah, it's the end of his story. Like he doesn't impact anything anymore going forward. Um, which is which is you know would yeah would probably most definitely be true. Going back to the authenticity, like yeah, there's no great redemption or great resurrection to become this you know this this messiah figure. Um, 
Yeah, and now I, again, I like that that there isn't that thing like that, or uh, in that realism state of like, no, sometimes it's just you hit bottom and you stay at the bottom, and that's it. <laughs> um, well, what's left for him? I mean, you know, he, you know, his he's, his wife is gone. You know, I mean, the only you know relationships he's ever been able to have were with Bryce and Mary Lou. Mm-hmm. Those have clearly run their course. Probably they were both stupid anyway, you know, like you took your best shot, but he's hopelessly addicted to alcohol. It's not even clear that he's physically covering from that, given his physiology. What what is he going to do? No, that is the end. I mean, we'll go. Yeah, I mean, that's the end of the film. That is the end of that story. But let's go back because there is there's two of the things that sort of I wanted I wanted to cover in my notes. There is a scene of he's building a rocket and he's building a thing, and but just before he's abducted, you see him. There's this big press event and he's in this what weird suit and sort of thing. Is he? That's a test run for the for the ship, right? That yeah, I, it, I don't know that it's a test run, but it. Yeah, it's clearly public and it's scheduled to take off, right? Mm. Whether it's a test or you know he's going on the maiden flight or. But he's going to be on it, and it's going to take off imminently. Yeah. And then he gets abducted, and that's it. then that sort of goes by the wayside. So, you know, one of the things I was curious about is, though, he's obviously had to invent technology to get to that point. Like, he's had all these patents of photography and sound and all this sort of thing. So he's introduced, like, basics. There's a great thing where they're talking, to the, they're having conversations with Kodak, um, you know, we have the, the contracts with Kodak they mentioned at one point. So they're looking at all this stuff. But there's no mention beyond that point of how this technology has impacted our world. Yes. And again, like you say, it's not important to the story. It's not important. Um, but, it, and again, this is just the way this film is shot. At the end of the film, when you see uh, Bryce and um, Mary Lou leaving that that he's dressed as Santa and they're leaving the thing. There's a billboard that clearly states 1976. Mm. Yeah. So. uh, It's clearly an alternate timeline, right? I mean, it's an alternate history. Yeah. Yeah. But so for me, I was trying to figure out that timeline. So if that ending is 76, like how long has this taken place? Did this start in the fifties, but they're all dressed like in the seventies throughout. They haven't attempted to say we start at this point and we go through to this point. And it clearly is, like I say, it's an alternative timeline where, again, I'd be interested to see, well, how is that? Does that technology advance? Do we get to be without him? Probably without him, do we advance? Again, it's not important to this story, but it was just in my head. And I was like, well, he's introduced a whole bunch of stuff to this world that people are now looking at, and they're now going to be researching, and they're going to use that to get to the next thing and the next thing, and it will take them down a different divergent line. So I was curious about that from a time standpoint because it's obviously, it ends in 76. When did it start and how does that work? I found myself thinking about that too. Uh, you know, and I love alternate history stuff. Mm. Um, you know, what, what I also found myself thinking is like, we don't get a sense of the outer world, right? So nope. if there's, you know, one of the things that does feel incongruent to me, like I can imagine like, oh, okay, right. We're in an alternate uh, history Clearly, this is not our universe anymore. But when it gets to the point of a spaceship taking off, right, that's getting press coverage. And he is, you know, famously reclusive. Mm. He's 
on TV about to take off. What did they tell the media? Like, oh, he decided not to do that. You know, did that spaceship ever take off or did they disassemble it for figuring reverse engineering the technology, you know, uh, because he's kept it all secret? I mean, how did they explain that to the world? And so, you know, there is this question that you're getting out of like how what does it feel like to be in that world? And, Mm. you know, so I might suggest if there is. You know, what we need is we need a uh, Denis Villeneuve to make The Man Who Fell to (laughs) Earth 2 and we'll CGI uh, David Bowie and he'll be a minor part of like, you know, it'll be set in this alternate universe, uh, but actually seeing this history um, and what's happened to, you know, world enterprises and they'll find the CGI David Bowie for a cameo Mm. at some point before the climax. But, I mean, that is a fascinating question, and I, I would like to see something like that. Yeah, and that, that's what is because I, I love this idea of aging technology, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the ideas of futurism from different periods, you know, this idea of how technology advances, especially around this time, you know, when you if you watch um, everything from the original Star Trek, through to, to this kind of things and people are still like you know yes this is the year 2015 and we still have a tape decks <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. and yeah, we got way beyond that very quickly um so i'd love to see that idea of how this this alternate timeline continued like what yeah what does 2021 look like after this event but the other thing that was interesting, obviously watching this film at this time We've been quite lucky with some of the stuff we've done where it's been quite sort of relevant. And this comes, this will come out in a, you know, in several weeks. But as of the recording of this film, we've had two corporate industrialists <laughs> <laughs> using using private enterprise, using their own companies to build rockets to attempt to go into space. We've had Richard Branson and uh, Jeff Bezos uh, and his flying flying penis rocket. Um, and so it, it just felt weird to me because like watching this film again, when you sort of like, no, NASA will take you to the, you know, there's there, you know, it's these big government agencies, they're the ones focusing and they've got the money to do this. And then all of a sudden we've now got SpaceX with Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos is doing his and Richard Branson has been trying to do it for years and they're, they're getting there. This idea of now, like you said, being ahead of its time, this idea of this, this corporate, recluse this technical this techno genius corporate recluse taking himself to space in 1976 um you know is 50 years ahead of this time right and the near total collapse of nasa as yeah you know in 76 we were still going to the moon you know i mean that was like the tail end of the the moon flights yeah, it, it just felt incredibly prescient and sort of like, you know, watching this. Um, and But then seeing, and again, this is no, I don't know, but seeing the types of people that make it to that level, the Richard Branson, your Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, to, you know, they're the three top ones, really, are a certain type of person. You know, I mean, Richard Branson now owns his own island and lives on it as a tax haven more than anything. But I don't know. It felt it felt like you know a commentary. It felt like a satire and a commentary on something like way before its time, really. Yeah, and I think you know if 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 I'm bothered by 
you know, like the presentation of the professor as a is a little bit of a cliche and, you know, mm-hmm. a condemnation of 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 academia. Um, you know, there there is that potential like Ayn Randian reading of this that says, you know, golly gee, you know, Einstein and uh, and, you know, uh, Leonardo were aliens. They were visitors, too. And all of our great geniuses are, you know, actually these tremendous people who alone propel society forward. And Bezos or, you know, uh, you know, Branson uh, are these guys, which is obviously just horrifying that anyone would think that, um, you know, having said that, um, you know, we are, I had a, I had a deep conversation with, uh, you know, um, with, uh, my friend Gabriel, who's, who's 28. And I mean, if you're a millennial, you know, we're completely fucked, right? Mm. I mean, global warming, Florida is going to be half underwater yeah. in your lifetime, you know, like, we're going to have wars over water, you know? Um, yeah. And, uh, probably, you know, you're never going to own a house as, you know, four years of college in America is a hundred thousand dollars. And, um, you can't even, you know, the, all the middle ground jobs have narrowed out. So you're either making 15 bucks an hour if you're lucky, or you're making a hundred thousand, mm-hmm. that mid range has kind of disappeared. So they know they're completely screwed. And, you know, and, he, and if anything, he's more of a kind of radical socialist than I am. Yeah. Um, and having said that, uh, and, and I consider myself a reformed capitalist, uh, but having said that, he's like, well, my only hope for humanity is if Jeff Bezos decides to, like, invent technology that fights global warming. And I'm like, dude, I, I like Bezos, but you have more confidence in him than I do. Yeah. And I don't want to live in a world in which, like, the survival of humanity depends on, you know, a, a rich guy like Tommy deciding to do this and then controlling the output. I want NASA to do it. Um, no, you're right. And one of the things that sort of that I thought this, you know, I don't know whether it was a statement to be, that, that they were trying to make for the story, but the, the, the idea of corporate money was the point. Like, you know, because... There is a version of this story where he goes direct to the government mm-hmm. and actually says and says exactly that. I will share with you. I'm not going to sell the patents. I'm going to give you these patents if you will allow me to take some water back to my home planet. Mm-hmm. But they've learned from television that that's not the thing to do. <laughs> and so he makes the decision to um, go through the corporate route. He sees that that's the thing to do. He sees so. In many, I think this film telling us that no, you're right. I think you know Gabriel's right in some respect. This film is saying the same thing. No, p- private capitalists are the people that you know if they've if they've got the m- moral fortitude to do the right thing. They're where the money is because the government is blowing it on all kinds of crap. You know, we often talk about our respective countries and our respective governments and how they treat things. You know, just come out the other day. We blew another four point two billion on PPE. That's completely bloody useless. Again, because there was a, a yeah. previous scandal well, like that. Yeah. Well, this one's less of a scandal because there'll be something else tomorrow. You know, Boris said that all the 80, over eight-year-olds can die as well. So, 
they're so fast, you know, quick fire now that it's, it's hard to keep keep track. Um, but it's how governments feel incompetent so you do you turn to these private individuals that are earning ridiculous amounts of money in the billions and saying we are in your hands use your fortune to find a new energy source to find a new building material that's cheap find a new you know whatever that we need Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's I think that's where people are, and you know especially some of the younger people. I, I I can imagine that's their mindset. Well, and and I don't think it comes from a pro capitalist place. I think it comes from a place of sadness and desperation. Um, you know, which is accurate. I mean, which is realistic. Um, and I, I think you know thinking about the movie and its presentation of capitalism, it is as aloof as Bowie is Mm. um you know like it it is able to do to create the spaceship right that's able to do amazing things right and these technologies are seem cool but there's no Bowie has no altruistic motives there is absolutely no desire to like you know I mean we see quite quite fascinating you know like i thought of network with you know this wall of tvs and everything which i quite Mm -hmm. like we see like a brief commercials of like you know world enterprises where it's like world enterprises and you but you know that's just bullshit because you know bowie doesn't care um so it's interesting it's powerful but it's not but 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 don't forget the technology he brings as well it's all entertainment led to an extent yeah he doesn't turn up and say yeah i've invented this really efficient solar panel that's a millimeter thick or mm-hmm. i can give you nitrogen powered cars or hydrogen powered cars he turns up and says oh yeah i can show you how to take photographs really fast or i've got some really cool speakers in the back of my car <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. sound it's sound technology and um visual technology that's he's maybe coming with the audio visual guy Who's basically coming with this new kit? That's it. It's entertainment driven. It's not. He, you're right. He hasn't come and said, "Oh, whilst I'm here, I'm going to save your planet." Doesn't give a toss. Which weirdly seems counterintuitive to his mission. <laughs> like right, because he's one, trying to save his own planet with water. I mean, yeah. And one of the things I was quite, I thought, was relatively absent was there's no ecological message with this film either. Like the yeah. planet is the planet. And you know he drinks water from a stream. He walks, you know, obviously towards the film. There's no sort of like he doesn't get here and go, well, your water's screwed as well. Like, mm-hmm. there's none of that, or like we are your future. You know, there's none of this. Yeah. There's no ecological message. It's just this this guy's journey. And there probably should be. I mean, you know, mm. that that does follow, even if it's a line here or there, right? Without, I don't think either of us want this richly ambiguous movie to suddenly become preachy stuff but that does follow you know even if it's a line that says like well you know your planet might look like mine someday too you might need to go somewhere to you know um i think that would that would help even a comment even a comment that you know towards bryce or something where they're sat in the city and they're like we were here once Mm. in our place you know we were we were where you are 
and you know that sort of thing. It's, it's, yeah, but it's not there. There's no there's no ecological message in this film at all, um, which is which is fine. I'm not saying it should. I'm not telling them what they should and shouldn't have, but it does feel odd when his mission is about yeah. you know restoration and preservation of water. Well, it seems to me that part of the reason why we don't get some of that is because the movie wants to give this presentation of entertainment culture, right? There mm -hmm. is this kind of like sub theme throughout of the superficiality of, you know, I mean, him making an album at the end and, you know, all the TVs and praising, you know, how he likes television, you know, <laughs> um, it's like, it, it is that very sort of like network thing of, you know, the, you know, it's funny now when we all have, uh, uh, answer machines in our pocket that can stream, you know, more content than humanity could have dreamed of in 1970. Mm. But there it's that network thing of like it's it's the 70s and everything's going crazy. It's all just phony entertainment. Nobody knows what the truth is. Um and boy we're past that point. Um, yeah. 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 We're post apocalypse, I think is probably the is Oh yeah. But I mean the, the, you talk about that thing, and television in this is an interesting one because he starts with a single television, and then when he's with Mary Lou, they add a few more, and then he has that outhouse shack thing for a while. They've got a load of TVs, and it gets more and more sort of sophisticated. But there's a moment when he has like a bit of a breakdown, you know, when he's obviously started drinking and stuff, and he's like got all the TVs, and he sort of like, you know, he's going like, Get out my mind! Um, he screams, and you see the screens. And one of the things I noticed on the screens is it's flashing from each of these different um, monitors that he's got going is they change. So at the beginning, they're all sort of like entertainment. It's sitcoms and this and that. And then all of a sudden it becomes news or image, more, more savage and raw imagery. Like there's some lions having sex and there's some sort of war and then there's something else. And it's that's the one time where it's sort of like he gets bombarded by masses of negative um almost or savage information from the screens and it's sort of it's too much for him um but that doesn't stop him he still goes back to the televisions again later so um but he, he obviously wants that yeah he wants that positive yeah he's got a curiosity but he wants it to almost be like a positive experience like you say if that's your addiction <laughs> you don't want your addiction to be corrupted and i feel that that's what it is for him in many ways um that you know he doesn't want to give that up um well it's also interesting i mean i find myself i love sort of music video sort of rapid cuts and juxtapositions and I, I find myself thinking of network i found myself thinking you know i one of my favorite films of all time is natural born killers mm -hmm. and it has a lot of just kind of like close-ups of animal screwing you know yeah. and, and just sort of like the the rawness of that um but, you know, as you were talking, it occurred to me that there is no entertainment on his planet. We don't see no. if there is. It's never shown. Right. We only see one family, but they don't seem to have televisions. They don't seem to have radio. And so whatever technology they are technologically superior to us. And yet, just like alcohol, it's like they don't seem to have alcohol. He's subject to that. Um he didn't evolve with alcohol and his body can't handle it. He didn't evolve with mass media and his <laughs> body can't handle it. No, but again, but they, they do say that they've listened to the radio. So they've heard radio waves. Um, 
And you, you, I mean, you know, you've made me talk. You just, this idea of how he reacts to this thing of, let's like, say, mass media, and he gets this addiction to it, and it's trying to absorb it all, all of it. I want to take all of it in with this wall of televisions and then the alcohol and stuff. Um, it, it, it just rem- triggered a memory for me. I haven't watched ET in quite some time, but there's a similar thing in ET. Like ET, at one point, drinks a beer and watches. It's gone with the wind or something like that, and obviously he psychically links it with, uh, with Elliot. And, and I don't know if, if if Spielberg had watched like the Man Who Fell to Earth and was like, you know, I'm going to do my own sort of take on this idea of an alien partaking of our vices of you know alcohol and and you know in that sort of way. I don't know, but that's obviously like a much more sentimental approach to the same thing, you know. Um. But weirdly, has a but what's more sentimental also has a much more governmental mm. um, overreach, overreach. Sorry, um, shadow in that. That's more of a sort of a typical sort of like you know the X Files. The government's going to come and take the aliens. But yeah, it seems almost like a trope, doesn't it? That that you know, aliens don't process alcohol in the same way, and so we're going to show that because it's going to be funny. I think really it would be the later. Well, um, I find myself thinking of like the explorers, where you know mm. you have those aliens who are just like gobble the gobble, you know, like we love, yeah. uh, you know, Earth Entertainment, and I and I always, I mean, that movie does not hold up, but I uh, but I always found myself, um, you know, like I always thought it was bizarre that we would imagine like you know a, an alien would be so fascinated by gun smoke, you know, yeah. like I mean it's unwatchable to us today let alone you know can you imagine you know i mean you've got you know all this technology i can't imagine that that wouldn't be like you know one guy sitting pounding a drum arrhythmically you know in terms <laughs> of its amount of interest i would love that like, we, yeah if we were to receive you know <laughs> tv and radio waves from an alien planet would we become obsessed with their thing you wouldn't understand it it's a completely different perspective it's you know you'd be going what is this show it'd be more like um it'd be closer to videodrome than anything else yeah sure um yeah but i mean so i i think it's weird this idea but it's so for some reason in this film it doesn't bother me and and, and it doesn't go to that explorer's level no. of like golly gee we're obsessed with this but it's just like well you know he is susceptible to it but I like what you're saying about how it's presented as a vice tantamount to alcohol. Um, mm. It's that network thing of like, this has become reality to us. And we're more interested in, you know, Laverne and Shirley than we are in our kids or, you know, the family down the street, which we don't even know their names anymore. Yeah, which, you know, was it like you say, was it was a commentary in the 70s and, and if anything has got worse in, in yeah. 50 years since. Um but yeah, I mean that—that's sort of my thoughts on this film. I mean, you know, um, I'll, I'll give you a chance to sort of your final thoughts, really. But I have to say, this was a really, a really pleasant surprise. You know, I chose this because I was like, yeah, I've, I've heard about this so many times, you know nothing about it. Let's go in. Um, little trepidatious, but I actually think this was really worth watching, and I actually think I will go back and and, and watch this again, actually. I will too. I'm glad yeah. you chose it. I mean, I, you know, I would go. I do. I do think that if you if you haven't seen this, you have to be prepared for the, a little yeah. bit of a 
a rough beginning and for it's a it's almost two and a half hours i mean it is slow compared to modern standards not solaris but you know it's, it's slow <laughs> yeah. compared to modern standards um having said that i think it's a masterpiece i mean it, mm. there are moments where it's rough around the edges but oh my god is it ambitious is it smart is it you know uh i mean it's it's a remarkable it's a small cast um mm. and yet it's absolutely fascinating and different and not different for the sake of being different but actually different and thoughtful and you know ruminates on these things instead of just giving you a one-two punch uh i think it's a masterpiece yeah i i yeah there were a few scenes i had to watch over but more so because I knew we were doing this, having this conversation. It's a film you can sit and, like I say, if you can get into the groove of it and have it wash over you, it's an experience, like a true experience. Um, that I, I would love to sit in the cinema and watch this on the big screen. I watched it on. Unfortunately, I did. I watched it on the tablet, <laughs> which <laughs> which is fine. You know, I'm 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 I'm. When now in that time when that's I can do that, but I, I think I could easily sit for two hours twenty minutes and watch it on the big screen. I would be completely absorbed for that time. As you said, the cast are small, but they're really good. Like, and as well, like there's people in this film that I know ripped. Ironically, I know ripped torn mainly from Men in Black. You know, he was in the first Men in Black. So, and a few other things later in the nineties, who are much older, ripped torn. Um, I know he was in Larry Sanders' show. Uh, yeah. I love him in that. Yeah. Um, and like I say, you know, David Bowie, yeah, he's not giving an Oscar-winning performance. He's giving a Bowie performance. But it works. Like, it works in this film. Um, I, I, what I would say is, like, you know, I, I went into this knowing that Nicholas, Nicholas Rogue had made Don't Look Now. And I love uh, Don't Look Now. I think it's a fantastic film. Beautiful film. Again, really ambiguous and... and um bizarre but this is this is this is him taking it to the next level like you know they they almost work in a weird companion piece i can i can see them in that way as a, as a director sort of oeuvre um but yeah I, 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 it's maybe not in my top 10 i don't think it, it, but it's, it's definitely a film where i'm like yeah i'm going back to watch this at some point I, you know and i i also think it's one of those films that if you are in different places in your life you know, different parts of your life. You will take something different from this film, and you can sort of reflect on it in a different way. And so, I think it's worth revisiting for that as well to come back later on and go. You know, yeah, now now I can see that Mary Lou is a different character to how I saw her ten years ago, or you know, the actions are... with with different people. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, you know, Bryce made a good decision or a bad decision or you know i understand why he made that decision or all those different things um yeah so there's so much in this film that you can just you can unpick um uh, you know and, and weirdly the the um, arrow video um the the, the blu-ray company they do a few books i've got a couple of them and they actually have a book about this and so it's a collection of sort of like three or four essays on this film and I always sort of room it. Mm, do I want that one? I've got some other, there are others. They're very good. Having watched this now, I'm like, no, oh, I need that book. <laughs> I yeah. need that book. I want to dig into that and I want to have a look at that. So, um, 
you know, what what have others thought about this film and how have they sort of dissected it? So, yeah, I'm really chuffed to watch this. I think it was really good. Well done, me. Yes, <laughs> Amen. <laughs> No, well, yeah. you know, I think this is better than than the last one, which you know was me doing one, one that we hadn't seen. Uh, but we like both of them. But I mm. mean, this one for me was a home run. Uh, I do think that viewers have to know that it's not it's not an emotional. If you're expecting, I think most viewers want a sort of like emotionally engaging yes. experience. It's much more cerebral, much more thoughtful. Uh, but does have meat to chew on, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, oh, definitely. You know, I, th- I think, I think, but I think also the aloofness of parts of this film um, trigger emotional elements of other parts of the film. You know, mm-hmm. the aloofness of, of of Tommy drives Mary Lou and and her her response and her psychological state. So there's a lot to take from that, and and so I'm really sort of yeah, it's it's it's, it's a really good film. I'm really pleased about it. And I'm really glad that the good thing about just picking these films that neither of us have seen, you know, it's it may be it could have been a car wreck. We could have come in and gone, you know what? <laughs> this is an absolute travesty. It's a real sort of, um, you know, vanity piece and all this other stuff. It because I'm assuming it could have been. Sure. Um, but even then, it's a film I haven't seen. We'd have learned something from mm-hmm. it. But and luckily, this turned out and we both enjoyed it. So that's good. Um. But moving on, because this is it now. We're sort of, you know, we're, we're going to be going at warp speed now into the next couple <laughs> of films. There you go. How's that for a transition? Uh, and then the next film we're going to be doing is probably just as slow, and <laughs> think thinks it's probably as smart. <laughs> um, may not be. Um, we're going to see if it holds up. We are going to be talking about Star Trek: The Motion Picture, uh, which is nineteen seventy nine, I think. Nineteen eighty. Uh, I think it's, it's eighty. 80, yeah. Yeah, so we're jumping ahead a couple of years. We're still on the top. It's got a huge 70s influence. Oh, yeah. Um, but, we, yeah, we'll be talking about... Um, so Not the man who fell to Earth, but the men who walked into space. Uh, so we'll see what we think of that oh, on the next... 79. Episode. 79, yeah. there you go. So that's in the 70s. And um, I'll, I'll, you know, I haven't watched this prob- that probably a couple of years. I, I, I have seen it relatively recently, so, but I'm still looking forward to going back to that one. And seeing how we, we both, you and I, come to that one. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Mm. So you know, don't forget, uh, we're on Twitter at Pod Time Space, um, and if you want to hear uh, us two bald geniuses talking <laughs> about the Twilight Zone, you get episodes uh, regularly if you subscribe to the 20th Century Geek Patreon. That's right, yeah. Short, short bursts as well. It's, you know, it's us going right. You know, fifteen twenty minutes. We discuss an episode in and out. Some really good thoughts, some really good discussion, and it's going to be every episode. We're really sort of pushing through that, and that's been a fantastic uh, set of discussions as well. And uh, for me, as, as the Brit, I'm I'm coming into it relatively new for a lot of the episodes. And Julian, it's it's you know it's a series I think you're much more familiar with. So it's uh, it's, a, it's it's a different experience, which is great. And if you pledge a hundred dollars, you get to me see me dressed up as Ziggy Stardust. <laughs> yeah. Hell, for, yeah, for 150, we'll both do it. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. I may even have that in the co- in the co- in the cupboard somewhere. Um, but yes, he's right. But we have got these different things on. Come find us on Part Time Space. Come tell us what you thought of this film. Did you think it was a masterpiece? Did you enjoy it, or did you think this was a turgid, 
two and a half hour waste of time. Because if you did, that's fine. Come and tell us. I'd be fascinated to think why you thought that. Uh, come and let us know. And you're right. If you want to support the podcast, there are many ways to do it. First and foremost is go but put a review. Five stars, four stars, whatever you want to do. Go put a review on your podcast catcher. It really helps sort of spread the word. Or even that, just go on to, uh, to your social media platform and tell people about us. Tell them to come check us out. We're open to discussion. We want to talk to people. Come and contact us. Uh, and yeah, we have a Patreon. It's 20th Century Geek Media. So it's, pa- it's patreon.com slash 20CG Media, M-E-D-I-A. Uh, and you'll find out they've got three tiers and they've got a whole bunch of stuff on there. Different uh, extra podcasts, us talking about the twentieth, uh, us talking about the Twilight Zone, um, new creators, all kinds of bits and pieces. Go check it out; it's all good stuff, and it supports this podcast and the sister podcast, Twentieth Century Geek. Uh, but yeah, so we are carrying on. We're going to be going into uh, Star Trek. We, you know, we we basically in a in the first series we really tore apart into Star Wars in the best possible way. Now let's see how Star Trek stands up and we'll do the same. And then we're going to go off into the 80s and we've got all kinds of things coming up. So we've got a great season ahead of us. Buckaroo Banzai. Buckaroo Banzai. Which, yeah, <laughs> I recently read uh, the novelization of, and I've got the comic to read as well before we get to it. So oh, yes. um, I'm way more, I'm a lot more informed by that show than, than, than I probably should be. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. Uh, hopefully you'll come talk to us and we shall talk to you on the next episode. There's something very important I forgot to tell you. What? Don't cross the streams.